This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Well, today we want to continue in our sermon series called Fearless. Say fearless. Stand firm till the end. Standing firm to the end. And today we're going to talk about a faith that Indoors. We're going to look at a very technical part of uh, the end time prophecies. Then we're going to take the last moments of our time together and look at Satan's strategy today, now, against you and I as believers. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is anointed, it's powerful, and I pray that you'll use your word to speak into our hearts, bring revelation, bring inspiration, bring illumination. Use your word, I pray, to teach us, guide us. It's anointed, and today we look to you for, 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 for the direction, the guidance that we need in our daily living. And all God's people said, amen and amen, amen. We're going to be in two passages. The first is in uh, Matthew chapter 24, and then we're going to flip over to Revelation chapter 6. The first part, I want to unveil to you and look at what's called the seals, the seven seals of Revelation. Matthew 24 and verse 21 is where we will begin. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. This is called the great tribulation. There would never have been a time like it in the world, nor, the scripture says, will there ever be a time like it after. The tribulation will be a seven-year period where at the end of the seven years will be the coming of Christ. It'll be a time where God pours out his wrath on sinful, disobedient individuals on the world that has rebelled and rejected him. Revelation lines up with Daniel. Daniel helps to, to bring, uh, uh, if it would be, clarity and, and, and a better understanding of end-time events. And in Daniel chapter 27, it says that, and it tells us that it will begin with the Antichrist, and the Antichrist will rise up. He'll make a, a covenant with Israel, and, and right at the end, right before the second coming of Christ, there will, there will be this, uh, this great battle that will take place. Daniel calls it the 70th week. There's many word pictures in Scripture that define and help us to understand the tribulation. It's a time of wrath, a time of judgment, a time of great distress and trouble and destruction and darkness and trial that will come upon the earth. If you go over with me to Revelation chapter 6, I want to get a little technical, so don't lose me, but in the technicalities, it helps us to understand this tribulation period. The seven seals of the tribulation. Now, as I shared with you last week, the reason that we're walking through this is it's important that you understand the end time events. It's important that we're prepared, that we are awakened, we understand what will take place so that we're not deceived. 
there are several views of when the rapture will take place. When you say, what is the rapture? The rapture is the, is the time where Christ will, will come and, and, and the trumpet will sound. And the Bible says those that are alive in Christ or those that have already gone and, and passed away in Christ will be caught up together and will meet the Lord in the air. It literally means a snatching away, a snatching away of the elect, of believers, the saints. There's really four different views of when the rapture will take place. Now, one reason that I'm pointing it out and we're walking through these end-time events and, and the strategy of the enemy is because each of the four theories or understandings of when the rapture will take place has biblical evidence to support that theory. Even though the Assemblies of God's theological uh, uh, preference or or position is a better word, is that we believe in the assemblies of God that the rapture will take place before the tribulation. That's called the pre-tribulation uh, theory. That's the assemblies of God uh, official stance is that the church, those alive in Christ, those that are dead in Christ will be raptured before that seven-year period of time. Now, the danger with believing in a, a pre-trib theory is that it's easy to discount and, and, and be dismissive of what will happen during the tribulation with the thought that I won't be here, that I will be resurrected, I will be taken up with the Lord. And I truly believe that that is true. Can I hear an amen in the house? But again, there is scriptural evidence for each of the four theories. The second theory is that the rapture will take place about the middle of the tribulation. That's called the mid, the mid-tribulation theory. That is a, a, a halfway point somewhere through the seven-year period, the rapture will take place. Probably the most uh, uh, convincing scriptural proof of when the rapture would take place besides a possible pre-trib theory is what's called the pre-wrath, the pre-wrath rapture or tribulation period when the church will be snatched or taken away. What do you mean the pre-wrath? Is that the body of Christ, those that are alive in Christ, will go through a part of the tribulation until when we see in the seals today, we begin to look at it, that the wrath of God begins to be poured out upon the earth. At that point, the pre-wrath theory believes that the church will be raptured. And then the final and the fourth theory is what's called a post-tribulation uh, theory or belief of when the rapture will take place. Now, I used to joke and say I'm a fifth, and that is a pan theology, and it's all going to pan out in the end if I'm living for Christ, you know, that if I'm ready, whenever the rapture takes place, I'm going up with him. But why am I talking about it is because wherever that were to happen, if by chance the rapture does not happen at the beginning of the tribulation, we must be aware, we must be ready, we must be prepared because if we find ourselves walking through any of that tribulation period that 
we, if we're not careful, can be deceived. Now, with those different theories, as we read different scriptures, I think you can look in and see where there is some scriptural proof that would make you go, okay, if it happens here, then I will be walking through this, and therefore I've got to live fearless, fearlessly standing to the very end. That is what we're looking at. So this great tribulation, Matthew says, will be nothing like it in the world before, and nothing will ever be like it at the, uh, at, at the end of that or after it. It's a period that will be great, great uh, 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 persecution and a great outpouring of wrath and calamity on the earth. So let's go ahead and look at it. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 6 now. We're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to read through Revelation chapter 6. The first seal that we're talking about, the first seal is called the seal of the white horse. Verse 1, I watched the lamb. The lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, come. I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. And he rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. The first seal is the seal of the Antichrist. Why is it one that's on the white horse? Is because he will come as though he is the savior of the world. We talked last week where, where he will have great abilities and, and he'll be able to unify uh, religions of the world. The, 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 the economic system of the world will come under one system, a, a universal government and a universal currency that will take place. And, and he will come in the midst of chaos. Maybe the chaos is because of the rapture. Maybe the chaos is because of things that are happening on the world or in the world at that time. But he will come as though he is the Savior. He'll be a counterfeit Christ that comes. And, and as he comes, the world will be, uh, as we looked at last week, they will be uh, just enthralled and, 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 and captured by his intellect and his abilities. Yet the scripture says he will be a man of lawlessness and he will be a man that, that is energized by Satan and will be Satan's counterfeit of Christ. It's during this tribulation period that, that, that God will begin to unmask Satan and the Antichrist, his tool, will, will be unmasked. When the rapture takes place, whatever point that will happen, then the moment that is happening, God will remove what Scripture calls the restrainer of evil, which is the Holy Spirit. The church will be raptured, and, and there will be lawlessness and evil that will run, run rapid. So the Antichrist, the, 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 the one that will come and deceive many will be a liar, a thief, a murderer, and, and he will be revealed and, and will begin to reveal his power throughout this tribulation period. Now, last week, we looked at how can so many be deceived? How can so many fall into this deception? In fact, in Matthew, it says that there will be a great deception and a, and a, and a great moment of turning away. Well, it's because there will be so many that will have become blinded and deceived. 
a love for God and a love for the Lord has grown cold in their heart, a rejection to the truth of God's word, a compromising of the truth and a, a blending of the truth with world philosophies will become the, the, the norm of the day. Men will become lovers of self. They will be lovers of their own indulgence and the comfort of their own life. So when a world is in chaos, they will pursue and, and run after that one that will come as the Savior to bring peace to the world. And in that moment, you will begin to see the signs of the times beginning to unfold themselves. Men in that day, why can they become so deceived is they will not really know Christ. They will have rejected Christ and rejected the truth of Christ. And in the compromise of their own life, they will buy into the deception of the hour. That is why we're looking at this and we're studying it. So the first seal is the seal of the Antichrist on the white horse. The second seal is found in verse 3. The second seal is, is seen in the red horse. Verse four, then another horse appeared, a red one, and its rider was given a mighty sword. You see, this is marked by a time of war upon the earth, a worldwide war and worldwide violence. And by, by the way, during the tribulation, it will impact the whole world. It will not be localized to one area, one country, or one area that walks through these calamities. It will be upon the whole world. Just like the last few years, the whole world walked through a pandemic. If any time in my whole life did I see how Scripture could show us the coming together of one world government or one world currency or what we're reading about today, the last couple years has convinced me how easily and how possible this is today. Can I get an agreement in the house? I mean, in weeks and days, there was a unity and alignment, what you couldn't do or could do if you had this or didn't have that, and it showed us how true this could be. So he comes on a horse with a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. So where he comes as the savior of the world to bring peace, now his peace will turn to policies. And if you reject those policies, it will lead to violence and murder and war and slaughter everywhere. It'll be during this time that you will be forced to take the mark of the beast. We looked at that mark last week, 666, the, the, the name of the beast himself. We don't know if it'll be a tattoo or a chip or some other form of identification. I believe believers will be aware we will not have to worry about being deceived in taking the mark if we're true believers. But if we're not truly walking with the Lord, what will happen is many will be pursuing the peace and the comfort and the protection that will come from the Savior, the counterfeit Savior, the Antichrist, and they will find themselves taking the mark. Now, if they take the mark, only with the mark of the beast 
Will they be able to buy or sell or protect themselves? And thus, many believers who are truly not rooted in Christ and walking with Christ, they will fall into the deceptions of the time, and if they are not wise and careful, will take the mark. So the peace now will lead to policies, and those policies will bring a terrible time of war and violence and conflict like the world has never seen before. And it will lead all the way up to the battle of Armageddon, which will take place right outside of Jerusalem. If you ever go with us to Israel, we will see that valley, which will be the battle of Armageddon, where it talks about the blood flowing so high because of the death that will take place in that battle. But yet we know from Scripture that Christ will be victorious in the end. Can we just say amen, amen, and amen? The third seal of Revelation is found in the black horse. The black horse represents famine. That famine will lead to a time of great suffering and hunger upon the earth. The lamb broke the third seal, and as he broke the third seal, he looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from a more among the four living beings say, a loaf of wheat bread, a loaf of bread, or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. What it's saying here is that which was now a prosperous time, that which the Antichrist set up as his agenda, now will become a worldwide famine. Now, we know that there are countries that walk through that kind of difficulty even now, but this will be worldwide. It will be like in the days of Israel being in Egypt. There will be pestilence across the earth, and there will be great death. It tells us the inflation, the cost of living will be so bad that a day's wage will buy you one loaf of bread. Now, let's be honest, in our prosperity here in America, let's be honest, for many of us, we can't get through a whole loaf of bread without it looking green inside somewhere, huh? Am I right? I mean, it, 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 it just takes over. But a day's wage will cost, will cost you to buy a loaf of bread. That prosperity will be gone. The fourth seal is found in verse 7. It's represented by the pale horse, and it represents death. The fourth seal uh, is broken, and he says, John says, I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and its companion, his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth. One-fourth of those living on the earth, not just us as mankind, but every animal, everything that is breathing and alive, a fourth of all that is living will die. It will, it will be killed with the sword or with famine or with disease or by wild animals. Here we will see a worldwide devastation that will come. It will not be by natural causes. 
but it will be by these four seals that we have been looking at, and it will bring a death toll across the earth. The fifth seal is found in Revelation 6 and verse 9. The lamb broke the fifth seal. I saw under the altar uh, the souls of all who have been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful to their testimony. Their testimony in that they are followers of Christ, that they've accepted Christ, asked Christ to forgive them of their sins, that they're walking and living in obedience to Christ. If that is your testimony, then it says that there will be a great massive martyrdom that will take place because of your faith. Now, it's interesting here, in this passage of verse uh, 9 and 10, it says in verse 10, now remember, we're talking about those who are following Christ, those that are walking with Christ, there will be this martyrdom that will come, and they, who is they, the followers of Christ, they shouted to the Lord and they said, now I have to pause and say, how did they become followers of Christ? Well, it could be, that the rapture has not taken place yet. It could be that they gave their life to the Lord after the rapture and during the tribulation. We don't know, but that's why I'm teaching us to be aware and to know the signs of the time. Can I just get an agreement in the house? They, who are they? Followers of God, those that are being faithful in their testimony, it just leads me to feel like there's a faithfulness that's come into their life. They shouted to the Lord and they said, Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? So during the great tribulation, believers will proclaim the gospel of the kingdom they will be saved. They will, they will be persecuted for their faith. They will suffer for their faith in Christ. They will suffer because they have not taken the mark of the beast. We know that there will come a part that if you do not take the mark, you will face the losing of your life, the losing of your own head. You will be challenged in your faith. Over the last number of years, we have seen believers around the world and other countries that were lined up by uh, uh, ISIS and others that, that were anti-Christian uh, and, and against God and opposed God. And if they did not uh, deny their faith, they would be executed right there. We've seen videos. We've seen it happen even in our own day. We haven't felt it because we're in America and we're protected in our faith in America, but there's coming a day that no country will protect you if you are a believer in Christ and you reject the Antichrist, his policies, and refuse to take the mark. What I'm afraid of as a pastor is I watch so many whose faith is so shallow that I'm not sure they have the depth in their faith today to choose to follow Christ instead of being executed for their faith. Yes, I said it aloud because it terrifies me when I meet so many that hear the word and don't live the word, don't apply it to their life and aren't strong in their faith. There will be a great martyrdom that takes place, this persecution that will come. The sixth seal 
is found in verse 12. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. It will come crashing to the earth. Fig is smaller, if I can help you. It's smaller than a coconut, but it will come crashing like hail down to the earth. The the sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all the mountains and all the islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, say everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, powerful, every slave and free person, all hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Now, can I pause for a moment and say, if we are alive at this point, we are in trouble here in South Florida, for there are no mountains and no caves that we can go and hide in. Maybe you're already buying your plot of land up north somewhere. I don't know. I might be raptured out of here. But just in case, it says there's going to be problems because they're going to go to the mountains, the rocks and the caves, and they're going to cry from those mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, And who is able to survive? There will be this panic that will take place. Now, this is where the wrath of God begins to be poured out. So in three of the theories of the rapture, the church has already been taken away by this point. In the pre-trib, mid-trib, or pre-wrath theory, the church has already been taken away as the wrath of God begins to be poured out. Survivors of the sixth seal, seal, regardless of their social position, they take refuge in caves and they cry out to the mountains, fall on us and hide us. That leads us to our seventh seal. The seventh seal is really defined as a seal of silence. The reason it's a seal of silence is it begins the next wave of judgment. The next wave of judgment is found in chapter 8. We will not study that today, but that is the trumpet, the, 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 the seven trumpet judgments. But in chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. So two chapters over, it talks about the seventh seal. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. I thought about it last night. I thought about it this morning in worship. All of the music, all of the singing, everything that's happening around the throne of God stops. And there's silence. All the judgments that have led up to this point right here comes to a point now where there is silence upon the heavens. Because now here the seventh seal is about to to show us that there is a coming of even greater calamity and, and the wrath of God that's going to be poured out upon the earth. Chapter 8, we're not going to study it today, but chapter 8 begins to show the seven 
trumpets. What God is really wanting to do is he's wanting to get the attention of those who refuse to follow him. In a sense, he's giving them a last chance to repent. The reason is that God doesn't want any to perish, and this is his final invitation. Can I hear just an amen in the house? That he's giving one last chance for all to turn to him. In our final moments together today, I want to give you four simple thoughts. Four thoughts of Satan's end-time strategy. The strategy that he has for us today and how we can be prepared for what he's desiring to do. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it what to us? fullest, abundantly, the full life that's in Christ. Here we see that there is an end time strategy and God wants you and I to be prepared for it. So what are the, what are the four thoughts? The first thought is this. Satan's strategy is to deceive your mind. Now I know your written outline might say it a little different. You may want to just fill that in. His strategy is to bring deception. We've been looking at this the, the last several weeks. His weapon is lies. He's targeting your thoughts, your mind. He's trying to bring deception to you, and his weapon is lies. You see, Satan understands that God communicates his will through his word to our minds. So if he can get us ignorant of God's word, we will become ignorant of God's will and we will become deceived to the plans of the enemy. When you look all the way back into the Old Testament, Satan attacked the very first couple by attacking their mind and getting them to believe the lies of the enemy. Paul says it this way to the church of Thessalonica. In fact, Thessalonica, uh, first and second uh, Thessalonians was written talking mostly about end time events. So if you read through first and Thessalonians, Paul is teaching the church in Thessalonica about the coming of the Lord like I'm teaching today. And he says this in chapter two and verse eight. He says, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. This is talking about the Antichrist, the lawless one, the, the, the one that has uh, deceived so many. But the Lord will overthrow him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie in all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused, underline it, to love the truth and therefore be saved. See, Satan's purpose is to make us ignorant of God's word. And why is that so important is because if we are ignorant to the word of God, then we will be ignorant and won't understand the will of God and won't be able to walk in God's will. 
That's why it's so important for us to know the truth, to understand the truth. The word of God fills us and, and leads us and guides us into the will of God. And through the word, God will reveal to you and I what his purpose is. So what's the best defense, your key to this target of the enemy? Well, it's to set your mind on God and his promises that come from the inspired word of God. Can I get an agreement in the house? You see, when you're in the word, it renews you. When you're in the word, it, 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 it transforms you. When you're in the word, it renews your mind and gives strength to your life where the enemy brings deception and he brings lies and he comes at you, when you know the truth and the promises of God's word, you can stand on that. And therefore it's important, and that's why I commend you today, that you're studying the word, you're worshiping God, you're in the house of God, you're in this service today because you discover the will of God by looking into the word of God and you can walk in, in, in the power and the victory that comes from the Lord. Can we just give in praise for a moment. Scripture tells us in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall what? Not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, the truth of God's word. It is the key that will hold you. A second strategy of the enemy is a strategy to destroy your body. His weapon is suffering and illness. Why is this important is because what Satan's trying to do, his purpose is to make you impatient with God's will. That, that, that in your time of suffering, in your illness, there is a frustration and a hopelessness that develops and, and begins to grow. And if we're not careful, when he attacks us, his weapon of suffering and sickness and illness makes us want to abandon our faith. If the enemy can get you defeated, if he can get you in a place where you're feeling overwhelmed and, and deceived and, and, and the enemy begins to attack you, you lose hope. And when you lose hope, you have a tendency to drift in your faith. We have the example of Job in the Old Testament. In Job 2.6, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord said to Satan, who said? To Satan, very well then. Satan came and he asked the Lord to be able to attack Job. He says, you defend him. You watch over him. You only give him blessings. You only give him prosperity. Everything he asks for, you give it to him. No wonder he serves you. All you do is protect him and bless him. That's more or less what Satan was saying. I wonder how many of us is he making that accusation against because you are so faithful in your walk with God. Well, that was Job. And so the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands. Do what you want. You can attack him. You can come at him. You can attack his family. You can come at his family. You can attack his finances and his job. You can 
Make him lose his job. You can take it all away. Everything he's got built up, you can take it away is what the Lord was saying. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. You see, the enemy cannot defeat you because if you stand in the Lord, no matter what comes at you, your faith is strong enough to undergird and, and to be hold up and, and to hold up under that pressure. Your spouse may leave you. Sickness may come upon you. You may lose your job. Trials and circumstances and situations of life may come crashing in like waves on you. But a true believer is rooted and grounded in Christ. And though we may be knocked down, we get back up because God undergirds him. Somebody give me a wave if you know what I'm talking about. Hardship come on all, but those who are in Christ stand up underneath it because the Lord is there holding you. Can I hear an amen? How many of us have gone through difficulty and we can look back and say, God held me up. God was there to undergird me. He stood with me. I was in the lobby after the first service. One of our dear sisters came up and she said, Pastor, you're not gonna believe it. On Monday, I lost my job. I lost my job on Monday of this past week. She said, I didn't know what I was going to do. I began just to pray and ask God to do something. And she said, then on Thursday, she's automated her giving like many of us have. She's automated her giving and her automated giving goes out on Thursday. She says, on Thursday, I opened my bank account and there went the tithe and there went kingdom builders. And she was like, oh no, I'm going to have to call the church and ask them to stop it until I get a new job. And she said an hour later or a few hours later, I got a phone call from a job I interviewed for three months ago. They offered me the new job with a salary increase. I'm telling you, the enemy tries to knock you down. It might be in your sickness. It might be in your health. It might be with something in your family. In fact, if he can't get you deceived, he's going to come at you with everything he has in your family, in your life. But man, the righteous will stand strong in their faith because they're rooted and planted on the solid rock. We can take comfort in that. We know that God will not allow us to bear more than we can handle. One of my favorite scriptures to remind me of this is found in Luke. Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, all of you, like wheat. You see, when you're walking in God, when you're making progress for God, when you're seeking uh, uh, the, to, to walk in obedience and fulfill the purposes of God, when you're getting into the word of God so that you know the will of God, so that you can uphold the plans of God, when we, the, the church that God's called us to be, is being a lighthouse and messengers of hope here in South Florida and around the world, can I tell you the enemy begins to attack. Well, you say, well, then I'm just not going to do anything because I don't want them to attack. Well, then you're already being compromised in your convictions of the will and the purposes of God. Because if you're in Christ, you'll fulfill the purpose of Christ. And the purpose of Christ is to be messengers of hope for Christ. And when we do, 
Simon, Simon, the Lord said, Satan has asked. Who did he ask? The Lord. To sift all of you as wheat. So you can't say, oh, pastor, we're with you. We're praying for you, but I'm sure glad it's not me. No, 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 you're under an apostolic house. You're under an anointing. You're under a church that's making a difference for the kingdom of God. And with that comes blessing and with that comes attack. But that's where we come together and we hold together and we're united together. And in that, we can defeat the enemy. And Jesus said, but I prayed for you. Simon, I prayed that your faith will not fail. And that... <laughs> When you do fail, he's kind of letting them know that you will turn back. So the reality is when we fall and we stumble and we all do, we're going to get back up. That when the enemy attacks, if you give in to that temptation, if you find your faith weakened and, and you're shaken in your faith, get back up. I'm praying that you'll turn back and you will strengthen your brothers. So what's your defense? How do you hold on? When the enemy's attacking you like this, is you hold on to your faith and you, persev you persevere. See, we have an eternal hope, a blessed hope. Don't give up. Patience is a virtue. And God is more interested in, in character, in your character, than he is your comfort. So when things are happening all around you, patiently hold up underneath it and know that God is your refuge. He is your strength. He will hold you and keep you and he will be right there with you. Paul, uh, Peter, I should say, says it like this. In 1 Peter, and God of all grace who called you, you're called by God, by his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you whole, will undergird you, will restore you and make you whole and strong, firm and steadfast. And with that, we say amen and amen. The third strategy, I know time has slipped away, so let me finish up. The third strategy is that Satan is trying to rule your will. Your will is the essence of who you are, the, the covenants and the commitments and the determination of what you want to do. And his weapon is your emotions. If we don't learn to discipline our emotions, if we don't learn to discipline our desires, what we find is we begin to give over our will, not to the Lord, but to the enemy of our soul. So the target is your emotions, especially in the area of pride. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians, talking to the church of Corinth in chapter 12, verse seven, because of these surprisingly great revelations, therefore, now I don't have time to study it, but when there's a therefore, you gotta go back up and see why is he about to make the next statement? And he gives you an understanding, these surprisingly great revelations. So in verses one to six, there's some revelations he's talking about. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul is writing, I was given, because of these great revelations, because God was using me in a great way, I was given 
a thorn in my flesh. Now, what we don't know is what was that thorn? Was it a sickness? Was it an illness? Was it some kind of beseeching sin that he could not overcome? Was it an EGR in his life, extra grace required person in his life <laughs> that just annoyed him to death? We all have them. We don't know what it was, but it was a messenger of Satan. It was something by Satan that tormented him. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. What he was saying is, God, I don't want it. I don't want to give in to it, this temptation, this sickness, this health. Some may say it was his eyesight. Paul was known to have bad eyesight, and, and he prayed maybe that God would restore his eyes. We don't know what it was, but he prayed that God would take it away. But he, the Lord, said to me, my grace, my grace, my grace. What is that? My my comfort, my undergirding, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, the Lord is saying, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says now, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He goes on to say, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight. I can't believe he's saying it. I delight in my weakness. Why? Because Christ is going to be glorified. In my weakness, he's going to give me a grace and he will be glorified in my weakness. What's my weakness? Well, it may be my temptation. It may be my past. It may be a circumstance or a situation or something that I'm walking through. Christ will be glorified in my weakness, in insult. When your faith is insulted, when people mock and ridicule your faith in Christ, Christ will be exalted. In hardship, Christ will be exalted. In persecution, in difficulties, when I am weak, then I am strong. Why is this important? It's because Satan's purpose is to make you independent of God's will not just impatient to God's will or not just ignorant to God's will, but independent of God's will. Satan wants you to try to do it on your own, to do it without Christ, to make decisions without consulting the Lord, that in your weakness, you try to get naturally stronger by education or natural humani uh, human needs or, or, or methods. We try to figure it out and go at our own. Satan's goal is to get control of your will. His goal is to get you to a place where your emotions are, 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 are driving you, that you're compromising and rationalizing and everything that Satan wants to do is to weaken your faith. So what's your defense? What's your key to defense is abiding in Christ. Say it with me, abiding in Christ. What does that mean, pastor? Well, that means that I remain in Christ. Remaining in Christ means I'm obedient to Christ, that I follow his will. I follow his promises. I'm obedient to the will and, and the ways of God. That's what it means to 
remain or abide in Christ. I learn to dwell in Christ. I seek him. I pursue him. I, I learn to worship him. And my love for him is growing more and more and more as I spend more and more time with him. So I abide in Christ and I rely on the Holy Spirit. That I am led by the Spirit. Now, if I will do that, what I know is I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. I will not be intimidated. That I will stand firm and confident in who I am. And it comes through repentance and obedience in Christ. The last thing that I, I end with, I'm gonna invite our worship team to come back, is the strategy of the enemy. <laughs> this is so good. So good. The strategy of the enemy is to weaken your faith. Your faith is rooted in the heart, the, the essence of your being. And the way he does it, his weapon is accusations. Now, what is the accusation is the doors that we open to the enemy. It's the sins that we give into. It's the things that we allow him to control. It's the areas that he's deceived us. It's the areas that we, we've lost hope. It's those areas where because of all the pressures of life, sickness, illness, circumstances, whatever it may be, our faith gets weakened and shattered. Or when we give up, we throw in the towel, we, we, we lose our faith. We decide not to be faithful, not to walk in obedience. When that happens, our faith, is weakened and therefore the heart of who you are, God calls us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, to love him with everything that's within us. But if Satan can weaken your faith, then because of that, which allows our faith to become weakened, gives the enemy an accusation against you. What's his purpose? Satan's purpose is to bring an indictment by the will of God against you, that you've rejected God, that you've gone your own way, you haven't walked in the ways of God and done what God's called you or asked you to do, that you've not followed the purposes of God, you're ignorant to the will of God, and therefore you're not walking in that will because you're ignorant to the will because you don't know the word of God. Because of that deception, because of all of that, all of a sudden there's an accusation Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's going to come at you with everything he can throw at you. He's got his arrow and it's back and he's aiming it right at you. He's trying to take you and I out and he's doing it through accusation. What kind of accusation? Well, you didn't really love God. You didn't really give your life to God. Look at everything you used to do for God and now look at your life. Look at everything that you've done in your past. You can't really be used by God. Oh, he's whispering his lies and his accusation. And he's saying, if they only found out who you really are. If they only really knew what you're like. You're too old. You're too young. This, that. And he comes with accusation. And when, when Satan talks to you about God and, and, and he comes to you about the word of God, he speaks lies. He goes to God, to the throne of God. 
He's making accusation because we've opened up doors. He's the accuser of the brethren. Now, what I love about the Spirit of God is that, yeah, God's Spirit in times of worship, in the preaching of the Word, in my devotions and song, man, the Holy Spirit comes. And the work of the Spirit is a work of conviction. The purpose of the enemy is condemnation and accusation. So the Spirit of God will say, you can change. The Spirit of God will say, you can turn this around. The Spirit of God will say, yes, you maybe have fallen, but you can get back up and I'm going to restore you. See, that's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God's going to lead you to make a covenant and to make conviction uh, and, and commitments to God out of conviction to the Holy Spirit, to the work of God and the will of God and the Word of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But the enemy condemns you. The difference is you're useless. You're no good. You've messed up. You can never be restored. If they found out, if they really knew, and he makes you want to quit, give up, give in, walk away, and abandon it all. That's the enemy. If you're feeling guilty, it's the enemy. If you're sitting in a communion service and you can't take communion, it's the enemy. Because if you've repented, repentance turns away from it and receives forgiveness from God and makes a commitment to walk in obedience to God, then you are forgiven and now walk in your obedience. But the enemy tries to hold you back there. The enemy tries to keep you there. The enemy tries to get you to keep going back there. But greater is he that is in you. In Christ, walking in obedience, in the peace of God, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So what's your defense? Your defense is to keep your life free from compromise. Because if you don't compromise, there's no accusation. If you don't give in to the temptation, there's no accusation. So keep your life free from compromise. How do you compromise? Is you rationalize. Keep your life free. And with that, we can live fearless, standing firm to the very end. Can I hear an amen? If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening. And remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.